Welcome everyone to the Queensbury Chronicles. Join us as we delve into the latest trends, share our experiences and provide actionable advice to help you thrive in the business world. On the show, we'll be interviewing successful business owners, sharing valuable knowledge from our team of experts and giving you exclusive access to all things Queensbury. So, tune in and embark on a journey of discovery with Queensbury as your trusted companion. We're back, everybody, with another episode of the Queensbury Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Naylor, and as always, I'm your host. And today, I've got Pav on the show. Hello, Pav. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm oh, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Now, for those who don't know, Pav is one of the partners here at, uh, at Queensbury, and she's also head of our legal department. So, let's get straight into it, Pav. What made you cho- choose law out of everything? I said, so, um, I think um, from a very young age, I had... Um, I had the knack of basically questioning and obviously back to my parents. Um, I was always a quizzical, um, just to be chasing down my mum, asking her why, uh, why this, why that. And um, yeah, so I, I, I knew I had the, you know, the makings of a lawyer and I think my parents knew that too and thought that I should, you know, put to use my my personality um to argue and and question um everything so yeah i think that's where it started so i i knew from a very young age that i would be going into mm-hmm. going into law yeah you've got to be the first person from the face that we've interviewed that's gone do you know what i knew what i wanted to do from a young age yeah. everybody else sort of goes ah, i just sort of like came across it and i thought yeah this is quite good so that's interesting so when you were at school was it always this is what I want to do, all my choices were towards that? Um, yes, I think when I was at school, I'll be honest, um, at the back of my mind, I knew that I would be going into law, but um, at school, I was actually an athlete, so my focus used to be on on, on um, track and field. Oh, is it? Yeah. What, what event? Um, discus, javelin, discus, long jump, mm-hmm. um, 400, 200, mm-hmm. so... Um, basketball. I basically, if they if they if they offered it, I was doing it. So mm-hmm. I basically played field hockey, um, basketball, rounders, netball, hockey, cricket, mm-hmm. track and field. <laughs> um, and um, so my head of year, um, you know, he was always hunting me down, making making sure that I was training. Um, I used to get out of lessons so I could go train. And um, and at one point, I thought I needed to. I knew that though I was really good, I questioned whether I'd be able to make a career out of it. So mm-hmm. I decided that I needed to focus more on my studies so yeah. I could pursue um, a um, a career in, in law. But no, so at school, my focus was completely divided. <laughs> so you've left school. What was the next step for you then? So going into law, you know that there, there is a certain route and there's only one way you can become a qualified lawyer in, the, in this country. You have to have a qualifying law degree. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it meant having to get into university, sitting, um, completing the LLB, which is a bachelor's in law. And then from there, I had to sit the legal practice course, which is the course, um, it's like sitting the bar, what the equivalent for solicitors. Mm-hmm. So once you do your law degree, you, you go either, you either sit the bar and become a barrister, or you sit the legal practice course and become a solicitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, until that point, I thought I was become a barrister. Mm-hmm. 
So I that was always my I wanted to go and argue in front of the judge. Um, but when I got to around 18, 19, I worked at Isleworth Crown Court, which was really interesting because I saw all the drug bust um, cases from Heathrow Airport go there. Mm. And yeah, so it was it was pretty intense, it was really interesting. But um yeah, I thought being a barrister was almost like Ali McBeal, what you saw on the TV, and it was all glamorous, but it, it was not really glamorous in real that, life. Like Harvey Specter in, in suit. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, he's technically a solicitor. Is he? In a way. But so, and um, so, yeah, I think the shine wear off. And I then realised, actually, if I was a solicitor, I could actually go into court and argue cases for my client, and right. I could be a solicitor, whereas a barrister was very specific just in court. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I guess when I came to that realization, I I I didn't sit the bar and I sat the LPC. So mm-hmm. from before you go into university, if you're going into something like law, you really you really have your next five years, six years planned out ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because it's interesting, whenever I speak to anyone, they always go like, "Oh, you know, I'm taking law." Everyone's head sort of perk up and go, "Oh, that's a." That's a long and like daunting um, course, isn't it? Oh, Did you find that? I, I, I think so. I think what it is is that when you, you like I said, you know that you are already on a route that will take you a minimum of five years to qualify mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you have a law, law degree, which is a minimum of three years, you have your legal practice course, and then you have to carry out... in. At, and in, the, in those times, you had to carry out a training course, um, which was a minimum of, of two years. So they are now alternative ways to qualify after you carried out your um, law degree, and uh, which I think is really good. So there's there's other ways, vocational um, options as well. But in those at the, at the time, you were looking at five to six years minimum to qualify. So. Yeah, it is pretty Quite daunting. Way, it? Yeah. It, it really is. But then I guess um, I know a lot of people that fell away at certain pl- certain times of the the journey, and um, you know, but they're doing well. They just they just took you know they just went to you know took different paths. So mm. I think you just got to be really you've just got to be really focused, and I guess you've got to really want it. Really, yeah, because it's actually a really hard journey. Um, it's, it wasn't an easy one, and sometimes, uh, you know, but um, I, I always had the end goal in mind, mm-hmm. and um, so there's no turning back for me. Kind of comes on to my next question then, in terms of what kind of person does it take to be a lawyer? What would you say are the key sort of qualities in terms of being a, a, a good lawyer? I think the most important, um, you know, trait of being a lawyer would be being able to read an, um, to read a scenario or hear a scenario and able to assimilate different different avenues and options and know the answer I think that's the thing a good lawyer is very solution minded mm-hmm. they are able to read a problem and already in their mind have thought of different solutions to the problem mm-hmm. there is never a this is the dead end there's always a solution mm-hmm. that you can find from the problem um, and my mind I believe has always been in that way um, which is 
which is actually really good because I use that in real life, in my in, in real life as well. I'll come across a problem, I'll always find the way out of the problem. And I think that's that's what it is. It's not to be um, square minded. It's to be able. It's having the ability to think outside the box. Um, and yeah, so I think that's that's the most important trait of I, I feel of being mm-hmm. being who I am. I think that's really important because the last thing you want to do is for something to happen in terms of your client and go, oh, I don't know, I don't know what to do next. Um, so you've done your law degree, you come yeah. out of uh, university, what was next for you? So um, once I was out of university, I had to find, um, I had to sit the legal practice course, the LPC. So I sat mine at the College of Law. Um, that was a one-year course, and at the time I was still working at Ellsworth Crown Court, uh, two three days a week, and um, so I had to sit the yeah I had to sit the LPC and then hope to have a training course lined up for the um, for when I finished the LPC. Um, at the time, I think I must have made over a hundred applications to firms for training contracts and I received rejection after rejection. How did you deal with that? How did you uh, deal with that rejection? It's 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 very hard. It's really hard. Um, I knew that I didn't have the best A-level grades. Um, I mean, I had good A-level grades, but just were not like, you know, I, I was competing against um, candidates that had like three A's or four mm-hmm. A's and all three A stars at A-level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really hard, and again, even at that at that point in life, some of my friends just just packed it in because it was it was so it was soul busting. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, but um, I think my parents really helped. Um, you know, perked me up, told me to just you know keep, if this is what I really wanted to do, that you know I had to just keep going. Um, I would. Um, offer myself up to work experience for free up to two three weeks um and you know i did i did a lot of those as well just to boost up my knowledge in different areas and um and eventually actually i became a paralegal at a firm called duncan lewis um at the age of 21 and 22 21 yeah, so I started at Duncan Lewis and I was with them for seven years. So Duncan Lewis is where I became a paralegal and I became a senior case worker. Um, and yeah, so at the age of 23, I was presenting clients for bail, at bail hearings. Wow. And um, I travelled the UK to different prisons and detention centres down from Portsmouth to... Dover up to Lincoln, um, so yeah, and it, it was it was pretty it was it was daunting but exciting as well. So you know there was no such thing as training wheels at Duncan Lewis. You literally had to sink sink or swim, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was good because I think that's really helped me build my character over the years. Mm-hmm. And Duncan Lewis is where I I then trained and then became. A um, register, yeah, became qualified lawyer by the age of twenty-five. Wow, oh. what's it like actually in the uh, in the courtroom? Like, what's going through your mind when you're in the courtroom? The case is being presented. And it's like this is the real deal. Now. You know what? It is 
pretty. There is something about being at, especially at Isleworth Crown Court. So I started working at Isleworth Crown Court at the age of 18. And so I was already used to that type of, um, you know, um, that type of atmosphere. But you let me tell you, I used to be a court transcriber and I used to sit with the clerk, which is just, just, with the judge just behind us mm-hmm. and when you looked around those courtrooms it was what you see in tv i was about to say is there lots of people like you know objection your honor and stuff like that <laughs> no actually so that's very american in this country i don't think you never get away with that really no there's no such thing as objection you can't object in this country um and that's because in the u.s and especially when you look at the movies they will they will imply or they will insinuate something to the to the judge to the jury mm-hmm. and then the other side would object and then the judge would ask the jury to disregard that. It's interesting. But in this country, mm-hmm. if you were to prejudice the jury, yeah. that's a mistrial and you'd have to go get a new jury because you've already put that seed in the right. in the jury's mind and you can't continue the case. And I saw that mm-hmm. as well Crown Court. I saw where the judge said no actually now I'm going to see the jury. Yeah. Because it's interesting because it's, I'm sure I was reading somewhere, and that's a tactic that in America that they use because it's like they know that it's going to get objects or whatever. But once you're, once you have it in the jury's mind, even if the, the judge goes, right, you need to forget that, you can't forget that. Yeah, you can't forget, you can't forget that. Naturally, as a human, you can't forget no, to do exactly, that. exactly, which is why it just does not happen in this country. Um, you're in this country, uh, the barristers will speak in turn when asked to, to, to speak. So mm-hmm. you have like your opening speeches. And, you know, one barrister will sit down after their speech and then the other, and then they'll start examination. Mm-hmm. And you'll have examination, and then you have cross-examination, mm-hmm. and if needed, you have re-examination. Mm-hmm. Um, and then calling of witnesses. But everything is, no, nothing's ever out of turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and the, the, the judges, some of them really are such, per- they had such personalities. And... Once the jury was sent out, you'd you'd actually get to really get to know the judge because mm-hmm. they would they would joke around. They'd say to especially at sentencing at sentencing cases. So like they would be like one courtroom where all day that judge would only be dealing with sentencing. Mm-hmm. So the trials already happened, or the defendants already um, um, pleaded guilty or not guilty, and then it's just sentencing. And you just turn to us and say, "What do you think I give?" to give them that's interesting and um, but obviously we didn't we had we had no influence over i was about to say um, you can't say no, jail them no, for life for like littering no, or something because yeah. there's sentencing guidelines in this country and if the judge doesn't does uh, doesn't adhere to the sentencing guidelines then the other side would just appeal yeah to the court of appeal so it's, yeah. it's not something that they could do but it was just like it was funny um actually and um but that's i think that made me feel less scared about going to court yeah. and then when I did become then when I did have to carry out my own hearings mm-hmm. um and um so yeah I mean going to actually prisons were a bit more daunting so I've been to Pentaville been to Belmarsh Burnwood yeah. Scrubs been to Isle of Sheppey I've been to Pentaville I've been down to the ladies prison at Bromsfield mm-hmm. um that's actually a bit more um I'd say a bit more um that's more daunting, surely. Yeah, it's, yeah. Surely, yeah. It really is. I mean, I go and see clients that were like six foot seven, six foot eight thugs who had either 
kind of yeah like cause people's bodily harm mm. and all that and I'd be sitting right in front sitting in front of them with nothing but like a panic alarm of the table so <laughs> yeah that's really interesting um did you meet anybody infamous shall we say at these, at these places that you went any any names that we would know of um you mean in prison yes I don't think I can say that's fine um, that's fine <laughs> I mean I've um one of my clients shared a cell with a very famous Hacker, really? that's what I could say. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll, uh, we'll move on from that one and we don't want it to get any, uh, any problems. Um, so let's go to then, you joined Queensbury. How did that come about? So I, in 2019, had was working at a firm called Aston's in Mayfair, um, dealing with a lot of high net worth clients. And I mutually left. Aston's around um, June of that year and I basically I needed a break I thought I didn't just go looking for a job straight away uh, did some traveling and then when I came back around August time I received a phone call from a headhunter that I knew um, Rose and she asked me when I was looking and I just said, yeah, I could be interested. I'm not really actively looking for anything right now, but um, but yeah, what do you what do you have for me? And she told me about Queensbury, and she said to me that I need to go speak to this guy, um, Richard, mm-hmm. and that he was a he's a really lovely guy. You're, you're you know you're coming out of Aston's, you you know he's you need to talk to him, and um, I mulled it over, and then basically uh, yeah, rang Richard, and I arranged to meet him down in Mudley mm-hmm. and that was it the rest of it was history <laughs> is this, was this during Covid? Before? no it was, all, it was before Covid before? before COVID. that's interesting so you, you, you joined this, this this project and then Covid hit after how did that how did that change things? Um, yeah I think I think it was I think it changed it changed things for everybody because when when we when I joined um, Queensbury I Although I was an SRO registered lawyer, I was also an OISC regulated caseworker, mm-hmm. um, which is which means that you could be a firm that provides immigration advice without being okay. a reg- 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 regulated law firm. So when I joined um, Aston, well, sorry, <laughs> when I joined Queensbury, we became an OISC because mm-hmm. I had that, and we registered, and we registered just before COVID and then COVID hit. So. It was a straight, it was, I mean, Queensbury was, at the time, it was a little baby, mm-hmm. and it was me, Richard and Sarah, and we basically hardly had any clients, mm-hmm. and we were going to look into, we were, that's what we were doing at that stage, we were, bus- we were developing, business developing, and then COVID hit, mm-hmm. so, but I think we fared quite well compared to some other companies, mm-hmm. because we just use the time to strategize um and in fact we we didn't stop mm-hmm. we didn't follow anybody's staff any staff we didn't follow ourselves we just carried on working through covid um covid was a strange time for everybody actually it just seems so surreal when you look when you think back to that time of in, in time in your life um almost feels like d- dreamlike like a movie really mm-hmm. I, I sometimes i think of um, Cloverfield. There was a time where I went into London, and I this was like mid lockdown, 
and um, and I think at the time we were allowed to go out for exercise. Yes, it was once a day, wasn't it? It was yeah. once a day, and as soon as they gave us that allowance, we'd go walking in London, and let me tell you, it was a ghost town. Really? Ghost town, and I mean, like, just nobody around, nothing. Giving you, like, end-of-the-world vibes, sort of. Yeah, like, end-of-the-world vibes. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really strange feeling. So, um, but, yeah, just going back to... Um, Co- Queensbury, yeah. So I mean, it wasn't ideal, but again, it wasn't ideal for many companies. Mm-hmm. So you know, gave us a chance to to pull our heads together, and then as soon as lockdown was over, I felt I think we just you know went for it like a bullet out of the gun. So, mm-hmm. so what's your day to day at Queensbury like then? I'm guessing it's very different every single day. Yeah. So my yeah my my case is my day is full of I will wake up and I'll have WhatsApp messages to cable clients and I'll open my inbox and I'll have different email from different clients of different urgency. Um, like right now, the client who was just at a volunteer office was sending me. Um, he had sent me ten messages on WhatsApp. Um, telling me that it was really urgent, can't get hold of me, and I've had to explain to him that we need sleep. And like, you know, where you are in the world, it's I'm a human you know, being. You're, yeah. you're six hours ahead of us, but you know, come on, I've just got two messages, and you know, and I had to fix that little issue that he's having, and then move on to the other problem, and move on to the other issue. Um, you sometimes some clients only get hold of you want to get hold of you because they want you to fix the problem um, so my mornings are usually bad and then I've got to line up check what's going on with I have clients who want to talk to me and they'll say it's urgent and then I've got to match look at the times of any meetings I have that day and then work out when do I actually get to talk to these clients who might you know, where I don't have meetings as well as do the regular work. So my whole day is usually doubling work clients and meetings mm-hmm. and also some business development wherever mm-hmm. I can. So pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's go on to what's, what's your proudest moment you've had in your career? Then? You, you spoke a lot about how you were really resilient and you had to deal with react, uh, rejection a lot. But what's been your proudest moment? Um, oh, gosh, there's so many moments, but I mean, I couldn't ignore the fact that I think probably in my career, my proudest moment would be when I qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, when you receive that confirmation, the certificate to say that your role, your name is on the role, mm-hmm. you you look at it and you just think, oh my God, did they really just give me a license to practice law? Like, like I that, did you have that? To practice law. Did you have that at the moment, or did it take a little bit of time after for you to realise that? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. You done this, or was it like in the moment? You no, know? it was no. just in the moment. Really? That's yeah, I mean, you're when you know you you've just finished your your training contract, and then you've got to put your application into the SRA uh, to come onto the role, and then they give you your that's it. Then they send you your license um, to practice law, and you're looking at it, and you're thinking, oh my god, they really did give me a license to practice law, and then you're super excited, and then you're just then all of a sudden you're just full of dread. Because you're like, did they really do this? And hold on, does that mean like, it's me now and no one else? Like, if I do something wrong, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and um, and it's really scary. It's really scary because all this time you're relying on supervisors and you're relying on 
ever ever do something wrong, you know, yeah. these people want to see me in trouble, not me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, if you give the wrong advice, you're in trouble. That's um, interesting. And it, it's like this, it's like you're wielding this power. Mm-hmm. It's really strange to describe because you're fairly young, well, I was fairly young, and then like you're wielding this power and then you're wondering why did they give it to you and mm-hmm. how you're going to use it and then just, you know, and then all of a sudden you just, there's the self-doubt, a massive yeah. self-doubt kicks in and it happened to me, happened to a lot of my train, trainees, so I trained a lot of, um, I had a lot of trainees who became lawyers over the years and they said the same thing, they called me up wherever they were and just said how I'm really scared, like, it's just me now, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just relaxed, you're more than capable and you think about it and you've educated this beforehand and you're capable of doing it now, but I, I was there and I know how it feels and it takes years before you do feel competent, mm-hmm. like before that you almost feel like all of a sudden you get your license and all your knowledge goes out the window, it's kind of like just before an exam where you know you've been revising for like two, three, two, three months or two, three weeks, like day on day and then the day of the exam you just feel like you don't remember anything mm-hmm. and that's exactly how it feels when you when you get told that you qualify but it again it was definitely one of my proudest moments that's interesting you say that because i always ask the uh, guests on the show is that i'm a big believer in that you should celebrate success and it's interesting when you're saying that like there was lots and lots of self-doubt does that really make like the successes in your career even better and how do you celebrate that success um well, when I qualify, I bought myself a watch. Nice. <laughs> and, um, and, but what do I do now? I think I don't actually celebrate successes anymore. I, I just, you know, I think now it's, it's about praising your team, team workers because they're the ones that need to hear the praise. You don't really need to hear the praise anymore. To be honest, do you not think? I, I think I mean, it's, I, it's important. Oh, I tell myself that, yeah, you're pretty good. <laughs> but you have to tell the team workers, your paralegals, um, mm-hmm. like my paralegal Miss Lisa, I have to shout out, shout out to her that you say, you know, you, you did really well, like, mm-hmm. good job, um, well done. And, you know, you, they've got to hear, hear that. Yeah. I, I don't need anyone anymore to tell me. Um, I never did actually, but to tell me that well done, that was good, that was, you did well, or that was a good, a good success. So, mm-hmm. Actually, um, more than actually peer, um, having that peer-to-peer recognition, it's nice to hear from the clients tell you, yeah. thank you, mm-hmm. um, because in the area of, of law that we, I deal with, which is immigration, you're dealing with people's lives, um, they've got families, it's key moments, you're dealing with some pretty life-changing moments for them, um, and when you hear clients give you that type of you know um or what wouldn't call it praise but when a client tells you that you know thank you so much you've just made my whole life or big gratitude that kind of gratitude of thank you for reuniting me with my wife or thank you for reuniting me with my husband that is something that is it's just priceless it really is priceless you know because it's it's really it's from the heart and it's meaningful and it's it's why I I that's it's why I qualified into immigration because I just enjoyed the whole bringing people together and yeah so yeah that's brilliant brilliant um, 
just then to sort of wrap up the interview side of things, I've been really interested in this. I've been really invested. Um, <laughs> what advice would you give for any aspiring young or new legal professionals who are looking to make their way in the industry? I would, I would just advise them to just to slow down. Um, it'll fall into place. It's, 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 it's not a race. Um, and you know, it will, it will all fall into place when it, when it's supposed to. Um, and just enjoy, just enjoy the journey because it's a, it's a long taxing journey mm-hmm. um, to become a lawyer. And you've got to, you know, yeah, I, I would just tell them to, I would just tell my, if I was able to tell my, my younger self and give any advice, it would be that, you know, just, yeah, just, just enjoy it, just enjoy the moment. Um, and um, that, you know, yeah, it's a difficult one. Sorry. That's all right. Um, yeah. Well, Pam. So to wrap up the interviews, I always like to ask some, I mean to think of a word, these are personal questions, but they're just fun questions, aren't they? I like to like dive a little deeper into your mind. Um, so you talked about your morning routine. Are you a tea or a coffee drinker? Oh, you know what? If you'd asked me a year or two years ago, the answer would have been hands down coffee. Really? Have you switched sides? But I have switched sides. Yeah. I really have. I'm yeah. Sure it's going down very well in the office. I know. Lots I know. Of, lots of coffee drinkers in the I office. know. I know. And you know what? I I need a coffee during the day, but also the tea. Mm. And depending on what time of the day it is. But yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely on the fence about that one. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Um, yeah. You're on death row. What's your last meal? See how, see how I've linked in the, uh, the legal side of that one. There that you go. is tough. That is tough. You know what? I have to say cheeseburger. Cheeseburger? Yeah. Chips as well? Oh, yeah. And milkshake. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Um, if you could work on any case, what would it be? And why? That's a tricky one. Gosh, that's a, you, you've got me there. Um, I, I don't think I'll be able to give you an answer. Well, if it was me, I would want to work yeah, go on, tell me. Uh, like, a really big, like, load of national press. And, like, it's sad because, unfortunately, something bad has to happen for that to happen. But let's say that there was a, uh, I don't know, something happened and there was a murder or something. That's the one that I'd want to work on because I think uh-huh. it'd be really interesting. I always said I think it'd be really interesting to sit opposite a murderer and just interview them. I think that'd be really interesting for me personally. And then I've sat with murderers. Um, What's it like? And let me tell you, it's I. I oh, this is some spectacular things. I see people trying to run out of courtroom. Yeah, I've seen. Um, it's really strange. You you get a mixture of you look at the defendant, you want to side glance them because you want to look at them. You can't actually believe they've done what they've done, and you side glance them. They don't even look like a murderer, and this is the thing because you know you think stereotypically that they're supposed to be a look yeah. to a rapist or a murderer. And let me tell you, there isn't. Really? There is absolutely none. They just look ordinary, and that's actually what's more scary because you're looking at them thinking, "I cannot believe you did that," um, but you don't feel anything. Surprisingly, 
because they don't look how you think they look because of the TV programmes. Like I said, they just look normal. Can I ask you a question as well? If you let's say you were defending someone who had done a crime and they came to you and said, I have done it, do you still have to defend them as if you haven't heard that? Or is that like that's it, you know they they admit to you that they that they've done it and you have to do you know what I mean? What I said? Of course I do. So, um, like I said, at one point in time, I wanted to be a barrister and I wanted to be a criminal barrister, but I wanted to prosecute for the CPS. Mm. So either you prosecute for the CPS or you are a defence barrister. So your client can tell you whatever they want and they can tell you that I confess to this. But if they don't want to plead guilty, mm. then you've got no choice but to continue the case. Because this is what's so, what's so weird about the criminal justice system is that you're defending it's not about whether they really are guilty or not guilty it's about whether you can present the case to the jury and whether they you can convince them beyond a reasonable doubt that your client is guilty or not guilty or that they're not guilty so it's all about playing the evidence it's about it's Honestly, it's like a game of who can convince the jury. It's a real psychological game, isn't it? It really is a real psychological game. So I've seen so many cases that you think that the client was guilty, but been found not guilty. Um, So, yeah, it's so, yeah, if you were a defence barrister and a client told you that I, I, um, I'm guilty, I did this, by the way, You've got. You still don't have your wow. choice. You still have to carry on with the case. Wow, that, that is really, really interesting. Yeah. Last question for the day. Then we'll go a little bit more light-hearted. Um, if you could travel anywhere in the world right now, anywhere, it could be a holiday destination, it could be for work. Where would you want to go and why? Okay, do you know what? I'll be honest. So recently, I can't get out of the Bahamas from my mind. Really? Yeah. That's a good one. No idea why. That is a good one. So absolutely, at the moment, my mind is definitely somewhere where there was just white sand. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Turquoise, turquoise water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my, my idea. Yeah. That's what I think, by the way. Rum and coconut. Yeah, <laughs> so I already had an answer for you already. <laughs> so, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Pav, thank you so much for coming on the show. I found that really, really interesting. Thank you so much for all your insights and, and knowledge. Um, as always, if you like the podcast, please make sure you go and follow on all our social media platforms. I've been your host, Dan Naylor, and until next time, thank you very much. <laughs>